Hey, good morning. We're so glad you're here. Who was here last night? Yeah, back for more. We just really have a great privilege of having I Am They, who did a wonderful job presenting the good news last night through a powerful display of uh, worship and special music, and they're just out of sight people with great hearts for the Lord, and we've got them leading worship this morning. I want to highlight one family before we get started, because it's just really impacted me, and Tony met them last night before the concert. The Sherrard family, they're sitting in the back there, they drove up, they drove up from Las Vegas last night just to see I Am They. Their favorite group, and I don't know what's going on, but there are no hotels available anywhere, so they had to stay in Rancho Cordova. They drove to Rancho Cordova last night. We did not announce they were leading worship until the end of the concert last night, and they're back. So God bless you guys. Noah's going to college in a couple of weeks, and it's his favorite group, so um, you guys are a blessing. So welcome. Hey, let's stand. And let's just have a great time of worship and let I and they lead us before the throne. I can see the clouds rolling. I can feel the winds, they try to shake me. But I will not be moved when my feet are on the rock.
morning. Okay, I saw all the hands of all you beautiful people that were here last night. How many of you guys were not here last night? Amazing. Well, I just, yeah, I wanted to see and recognize you guys as well. And thank you so much if you are part of this church as your home church for being here. Cornerstone has just been absolutely incredible. Such a blessing. Wonderful people. I'm still out of breath. <laughs> this elevation, guys, is like, man. Yeah, we were, talking, we were talking earlier and we were like, you know, I used to backpack around here and I'm from this area, but now living in Nashville, it's like I can't go up the stairs. I'm like in the elevator. I'm like 30-something years old. Anyway, anyways, uh, man, just great to be apart and hanging with the family. It always feels like family whenever we come back home here. And um, so it's just been beautiful for us, um, a great time. But listen, we are here to worship Jesus for all that he has done in our lives, for all that he is worth, uh, just to glorify his name with everything we got this morning. Amen. So um, we hope you know some of these songs we're going to be singing a couple um, IMA songs, but really, you know, we started just as a band of, of worship leaders. That's who we are. We all led worship um, growing up and that kind of thing at different churches. So that is the heartbeat of everything that we do, the songs we write, um, but also different places we get to go. Oftentimes we're singing a concert and then we hit the road and we're on to the next thing. Um, but it's a blessing when we get to come play a concert, but then get to lead worship in church uh, the next morning. So we're just excited about that. So with no further ado, let's keep singing.
We just sing this one more time together for who can stop the Lord Almighty.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these moments of worship that we can come before your throne. We thank you for these wonderful people on stage for bringing us there and introducing us to your altar. Father, I pray that you uh, are pleased by what you see and what you hear this morning and that you would pour your spirit upon us as we praise and worship your name this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Sure, a special treat. You know, um, going to share a few things that's happening in our church. We're very passionate about worship, and uh, we want to do more nights like last night. We have more scheduled. Um, the fall more will be coming because we just understand that of all the things that we do here on earth, only worship will we be doing in heaven before him. So we just, we got lots of time to practice and Practice makes perfect, and so we just want to practice around here. Our next night of worship is actually August 6th, so we want to make sure that you put that on your calendar, 7 p.m., Friday night, August 6th. It's just a chance for the church to come together for an extended time of worship, 
and uh, we don't want you to miss out on that. A couple other things that are going on. Jessica, our new children's director, is just really hitting the ground running, and she's got a lot planned. Um, MOPS is uh, already had, I think, one meeting. The next one's coming up July 27th, and then uh, another one uh, August 30th. You can get more information from her. Um, soccer camp actually starts tomorrow, so it's not too late to get your kids signed up. It's all week long, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Monday through Thursday, 9 to noon on Friday. It's going to be a great time starting tomorrow, and then VBS is coming up as well. A lot of details online, but you can, you can email Jessica at her email address, jessica at cornerstonecommunity.net, and get information on any one of those or all three of those. Um, it's going to be a great time. So I think that's all that I had. Our fearless leader is back with us today. You're so excited to have Tony. So before he comes up, I want to give you one more opportunity. Let's stand. Find somebody that you don't know. Give them a warm cornerstone welcome, and we'll have Tony come up. Thank you. Let's go ahead and grab a seat. <clears throat> Good morning. The, um, I want to thank you for your prayers. It's, um, it's an amazing thing. Um, you know, when you, when you need support and prayers, and I, I'm a very private person with stuff, you know, I don't like to talk about things about me, but when you end up having to do that, and then you find out, you know, with the cancer surgery, and as Daryl has said, you know, they believe it's contained and removed, so I should be cancer-free. <laughs> but I think the lesson God taught me was the... Um, the beauty and love of the body of Christ all around where we know people, but especially in this church. So thank you for your support of Teresa and I in a way that um, just humbles me, something terrible. I, 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 I'm amazed sometimes when I hear who's praying for me and contacting me and sending me cards, and, my, and I say to myself, my goodness, I don't pray for them like they pray for me. Th this is sad. But we are overwhelmed with your love, so thank you so much. And we are excited about the future. So, Father, guide us in your word this morning. And um, as Daryl has said, for your glory. 
guide us. In Christ's name, we thank you. Only because of him we can approach you. Amen. If you're visiting today, we're in the book of Romans. Been here for, I don't know, 10, 20 years, it seems like. Um, and we're in chapter 13 today, which is the Christian's relationship to the government. So you picked a great day to come. Um, and I'm actually very excited about this because I've been gone for two weeks and this text has been in my mind wondering how I was going to do it. Um, so, but to stop, let, let's think about the last, I think it was March of last year when we stopped doing services, late March. So what is that, um, 15, 16 months ago that our world shut down. And in that shutdown, it was really our government who, who did that for, for the motive of keeping us safe. And obviously the government is reacting to something that this current government's never dealt with. Then we reacted to the government in ways of, you know, some of it compliance, some of it with the high hand of, you know what I mean by that. Um, <laughs> And, um, and, and we have not, I'm not sure we thought about, as followers of Jesus, our relationship to the government. I hadn't. I'm a very, I'm, I'm a very politically opinionated person. I'm, I'm very conservative in my thinking. Um, but I also believe when you mix politics and the gospel, the gospel loses. So I keep it out of the church. And then coming to this text, I'm going, okay, God, what do I do with this text? So I'm going to walk through this. So I, I need this, what I need you to do. And if you're a visitor here today, I, you need to understand something about my teaching. I, I am a firm believer that God has given you a brain, has given you the Holy Spirit, has given you the Bible, and has given you the community of the people of God. And that's how we interpret his word. We do it as a group through the mind he's given us and the spirit of God. And so what I say today, I'm still actually working through. I'm processing out loud to you today. I need you to go to the scriptures and you be like the Bereans and see if what I say is so. Um, so with that, how are we to respond to things we see in the world today? You know, we think about in Portland, Antifa, my son lives up there and all the riots and things like that. The, um, the constant interference, what we perceive as interference, with good motives, I assume, of our government. Like I said, wear masks, don't wear masks, can't do this, can do that. How do we respond to that? What is the Church of Jesus Christ supposed to do in the midst of last year, not just COVID, but an increasingly divided country over politics with the election? And that affected the church, too, this church. How are Christians to respond? How are we to react? Romans 13 has a flow to it from chapter 12. Chapter 12, it ends with this concept. Paul says, Christian, do not seek revenge. Do good to your enemy. Let God get, re let God get revenge. It's not your role to get revenge. Let him do it. He does it right. You and I won't do it right. And how many of you have, how many of you have situations in your life, whether currently or in, in your past, that you realize you wanted justice and didn't get it? Okay, God, what are you doing? You won't let me take revenge, then you do it. There's a day coming called Judgment Day when God will make all things right. But I want it now. It's interesting, Romans 13, chapter, verses 1 through 7, seems to be an interference into Paul's thought. Because in chapter 12, he's talking about loving one another. After this passage in 13.8, he goes back to love one another. 
what's this thing about the government doing there? And it, what it is about is, is Paul saying, yes, God will get revenge someday. He'll bring justice. On the judgment day, he'll do it perfectly and in, in totality. But now he uses the government. So we're going to read that in a moment. But I need to set a background, give you a background, a biblical background. And that's God's sovereignty over the nations. Okay, so this is important for us to understand as Christians that in the midst of the chaos, God is sovereign over the nations and where they're going. God is taking history somewhere. I want to read to you Acts 17, 22 to 28. Paul is doing a sermon in Athens um, on Mars Hill where all the philosophers were. So he's speaking to the philosophers. And so I'm dropping right in the middle of the sermon. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. I think, I think the Athenians probably put up a, a, um, an altar to, to an unknown God, just in case they missed one. Because they're very polytheistic, multiple gods. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So Paul's taking advantage of their ignorance to say, let me tell you about the, the God you don't know. He's the God I do know. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the earth, to live on the face of the earth. Look at this, here it is. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Thus they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from one from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So I want to just give you the whole paragraph there. But that little section in the middle, that God controls the boundaries and movement of nations. This is very important to understand. So here's what I want. I want to give this mental image if I could, please. I wish I had made a slide of this, but I, I, I can't even, I can't draw with a pencil, let alone with a computer. So I want you to think of the chaos going on in our world right now. Think of our own country the last year. Just, just visualize it as kind of just chaos. Lines going nowhere. Seems to be no direction. And you have, you have this group over here against this group over here. And, and, and we're living in the midst of this. And I, and I kind of have an affinity for this craziness, but I'm opposed to this craziness. So you think of anything that's going on in our world today, whether it's social, political. Um, is the world going somewhere? Or are we just in the middle of chaos that we're spinning our wheels and going round and round? That's our daily life, that chaos. You with me? The, the imagery? Now I want you to see above and below that two arrows of trajectory. And think of time. From past, let me go this way. From past to future. That's the sovereign plan of God over all creation. So, so those two lines of sov God's sovereign plan borders the chaos. Where do we live? We live in the chaos. We live in the chaos, but to whom do we follow? Whom do we follow? The one who has sovereignty over it. He's the one we have allegiance to. To get the imagery, I'm going to come back to this a couple times. We live in the chaos where it seems there's nothing that makes sense and the world's going nowhere good. 
But God is the one who is directing history, taking it to where he wants it to go, and all the chaotic decisions and evil decisions that we make, he brings to his intended purposes. This is taught in Acts, it's taught in Jeremiah, it's taught in Isaiah, it's taught in Daniel, it's taught in the book of Proverbs. God controls the nations. The king makes his plans, but God controls the outcomes. So you with me on that? All right, now let's, um, let's look at Romans 13, one through seven. I'm just gonna read the whole paragraph to you. We'll, we'll, we'll stop afterwards and explain some of it. Paul says this, remember this follows the paragraph on don't take revenge, let God do it. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. By the way, the sword wasn't for spanking you. What's the sword for? For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So this is Paul saying, you want vengeance now. To a certain degree, God uses governments to do that. Verse 5, therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Now we're going to get where it's personal, you guys. You also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. So with that, I want to talk about Paul's foundational expectations for you and I as followers of Christ. These are foundational. These are our starting point. Then we're going to ask the question, what do we do when a government goes bad? So let's look at the foundational starting point that God expects from us. And there's three words that come out of this text. Submission, courtesy, and honor. Submission, courtesy, and honor. I I just read to you on submission. Let me read it again. Verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. All right. Then I'm going to jump down to verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection. So I I just cut those verses in half there. Twice, it it kind of brackets. Verse 1 and verse 5 bracket Paul's thoughts here. Submission to the government. What does that mean? Does submission mean absolute obedience? I want to see some heads nodding yes or no. Does submission mean absolute obedience? Yes and no. I knew we'd get both. We got any like this? (laughs) This is a common word in Scripture. It tells us to submit to God. Is that absolute obedience? Okay, I hope so. It tells wives four times, submit to your husbands. Is that absolute obedience? I see some yes and no's. (laughs) You men are chickens. I don't think it does. I don't think it means absolute obedience. But when Teresa leaves, we'll talk more later. (laughs) So... Here's a tougher one. Same word is used to tell you Christians to submit to the elders of your church. Does that mean absolute obedience? 
Oh, I only see no's. So the word I don't believe means absolute obedience. But let's not use that as some reason. Now, how can I find the loopholes to disobey the government? Okay? So, so this, this is the Christians, we come to this as, as government is God's authority, put on earth, by, led by evil men, wicked men. Some of them are good, some of them are evil, but we still have to submit to them. But we're going to see in a moment, there's times where we say, no, I will not submit to you. So let, let me read two other verses, passages, so, so bear with me. We're going to read Titus and 1 Peter where these same, same commands come to submit to the authorities, but it comes with other attitudes. And it's very important we get the big picture of our starting position, our foundational approach to our government. Titus chapter 3, 1 and 2. Paul's writing to Titus, who's over a church in um, Crete, I believe. Paul says, remind them, talking about the people in his congregation, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. You see that? You see how the connection of submitting to authorities is connected to good works. I'll I'll, I'll explain that more. Verse 2, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. So, so that's the attitude of Christians. It comes with being submissive to your government, being kind to your neighbor, even those who are opposed to you, and being engaged in good works. 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, 11 to 17. This is longer, but I have, you have to see some of the, the attitudes that surround who we are as followers of Jesus. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So first of all, this brings up a, a very important concept. Where's your primary home? I'm not talking about Incline Village. Where's your primary home? Heaven. We're citizens of heaven. Peter calls us sojourners here. We're exiles. This is, isn't ultimately our home. So how are we to live as exiles? He goes on. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak evil against us as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's the second coming to Christ. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. But back up in verse 13, be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every institution. Why do I submit to the government? For my Lord's sake. I put aside my own rights. As Americans, we have incredible rights. I'm going to talk about those in a minute. But if we make those supreme, then we'll find ourselves in a, a battle with our governing authorities. But if we make the Lord's glory supreme, then we realize me getting my rights isn't what's most important. Me living a life that honors him is most important. You with me? Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, there's that good works again, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. So that's the big picture here of our basic starting point. Submission 
Um, how did I put that? Submission, courtesy, and honor. So you have to have that as foundational in how you approach our, our world, people, your neighbors, but also our government. All right, let's, let's build on this now. So why should Christians act this way? Why should I submit to the government? Well, Paul explains in Romans 13, verses 2 through 4. I'm going to start at 1 again, but listen to what Paul says the government is for. And I'm going to let this stand. I'm not going to explain it a lot because I want to move on to some other things. But back to it. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So you Republicans, did you know the Democratic president is instituted by God? And vice versa, by the way. Oh, you guys didn't like that one. <laughs> you, see, you see, people we say, they're contrary to the honor of God. In some way, have been put there by God. In some way. I don't, I'm not going to enter into how that happens. That's, that's the mystery of how God runs his world. But let's not deny it. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So that's the basic reason why we live a life of subjection to the government, of honor to one another, and being courteous, kind, gentle people to everybody. So no one can bring an accusation against us that then thwarts the gospel. Let's go back to my, my imagery, the chaos going in the world. And would you agree with me, it's chaotic right now? I mean, it's like, I, I, pull, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get a newspaper, I don't have cable TV, so I don't watch the news, I just check internet sites and I look at headlines. Every once in a while I'll click on the headline, because um, it's clickbait, you know, they really say things, oh, I'm gonna check that out. And I get done my 15 minute little foray in the morning of looking at the news headlines, of um, either depressed or ticked off of, of where our world's going. It's like, this is nuts. So in that chaos, as a Christian, what, how do I respond to it? Well, I need to respond. At the first place I need to respond is realize, no, I serve the God who oversees it all. I serve the God who from creation till the second coming of Jesus Christ is working his plan to bring righteousness to the world, to redeem a people for his own possession, and to make them like his son from all nations. And so that's the God I serve. So when I see all the chaos, if I focus on that, I'm going to respond improperly. But if I step back and focus on the God who's working his plan, and part of his plan is he uses the people of God, he uses his own church to further his kingdom to rescue people from the chaos. But when I put all my energy to, to trying to solve the chaos and forget who I belong to and why I'm here, then the anxiety and the depression and then the anger and all that come in. Let's remember who we are and why we're here. What's the purpose of the people of God? Why do you, why do you exist? Okay, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The first question of the Westminster Catechism. I love that answer, but let's put some teeth to it. 
Why? To share the gospel. Specifically, to make disciples. So in all that chaos, I'm supposed to wake up every day in that chaos and talk to those who agree with me, who look like me, and who like me, and to approach those who don't look like me and don't like me with the love of Jesus Christ. So that whatever happens in our country, in our history, in all this chaos, the end result is that God is redeeming the people for his own possession, and you and I are the instruments that he uses. So, I know I say this a lot, but are you with me? Okay, so, why do Christians act this way? All authority ultimately comes from God. God has established government to reward good and punish evil. But then my third question, what do Christians do when a government forgets its purpose? And our government is going there. When we see, from my perspective, maybe yours, they're punishing good and rewarding evil. What do we do with that? Do we still play the game? Do I still submit? There's a point where I say, no, I do not. And it's what philosophers and scholars call civil disobedience. And civil, remember, let's keep the foundation. We are submissive, respectful, honorable people. But when a government turns against good, when God instituted it to reward good, and they reward evil, of which God instituted them to punish evil. They've turned it on their head. How are we to respond? Acts chapter 5 gives us an interesting example. It's Acts 4 and 5. The apostles are preaching Jesus. They get arrested. They're told, do not speak in the name of Jesus again. Chapter 4. And, and Paul and John, or Peter and John say, decide for yourself. Do we obey you or God? God told us to preach. So chapter 5, they're preaching again. They get arrested and they're beaten this time. Do not speak in the name of Jesus again. Guess what they do? They speak in the name of Jesus. There's a certain point where a command from a government completely contradicts a command from God. We must obey God and then accept the consequences from the government, whatever they may be. That's called civil disobedience. And this is where we have to especially be in community and think deep about it, pray a lot about it, and be in conversation of what we do. And last year, we didn't do a good job. I didn't do a good job leading. How do we deal with our governor? You know? And it was, it was new for all of us. I wish I could go back 15 months. I really do. Can't. How do we move forward now? So, Paul is dealing with people writing to Rome, the capital of the Roman government. Who, let's talk about the difference between the Roman Empire and our government today. Because we don't submit to the Roman Empire, we submit to the United States. Who was the ultimate authority in the Roman Empire? The emperor was. The emperor was. Ultimate authority. The Roman Empire, they had a senate, six to nine hundred senators, but all of them submitted to the emperor. He had authority over everybody. And so Paul says that, honor the emperor. Fear God, but honor the emperor. So here's a question I want to hear back from you. Who is the ultimate authority in the United States? Who said God? Good job, good job, Phyllis. I heard it over here, what? 
We the people. You see, it's not the president. It's not our governor. The ultimate authority in the United States is we the people. This, this last couple of weeks has been a joy to study how do we apply Paul's commands in our government? Because I don't, I don't have an emperor. I don't have a king. So I'm going to do something that is out of my box. I'm going to read to you a paragraph from the Declaration of Independence in the first opening lines of the Constitution of the United States. Just to establish this. And I'm not an expert on these things. My specialty is the Bible. I'm now stepping out of that. And this is where you need to put your thinking cap on and see if what I'm saying is right. And then draw some conclusions for us, how we live day to day in this these United States. So we the people, collective, not individual. See, if, if, if authority derives from every individual, you know what that's called? Anarchy. We the people is the collective people of the United States. So let me read to you the opening lines of the Declaration of Independence. And stay with me on this. Okay? So, so it'll be on the screen. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that means you can't, they can't be taken away from you. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, here it is, secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. See, this is very different. Thomas Jefferson writing this along with John Adams and a few others. England has the divine rights of kings. England's a Christian country. The divine rights of kings. Kings, God has appointed them. You must obey them. And our founders are saying, no, it's the people that ultimate authority. That whatever, whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall be seen most likely to the effect their safety and happiness. So, so our founders were brilliant. So they, instead of having divine rights of kings or an emperor, they set up three branches of the government. They set up the legislative branch, which is the House and the Senate. They make laws. They set up the judicial our court system, the highest being the Supreme Court, they interpret the laws. Then they set up the executive branch, starting with the president on down to governors, and they enforce the laws. All these people are elected. The Supreme Court is appointed. But they come from whom? We the, the people. Okay, stay with me. I'm going somewhere. Maybe not where you think I'm going. So here's the opening line to the paragraph of the Constitution. What's the first line? Put it up there. We, the people of the United States, in order, now here's the grammar. I'm a, I'm a grammar geek, okay? So I'm going to read you the grammar of this because it's a long, complex sentence. The, the, in order to, you see that word in order to up there? It's supposed to be repeated multiple times. So in order to form a more perfect union, in order to establish justice, in order to ensure domestic tranquility, in order to provide for the common defense, in order to promote the general welfare, welfare, and in order to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, then we come back. We the people do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. 
So the ultimate authority is us. And we elect our leaders. And they serve us. We don't serve them. I think that's gone a little bit haywire lately. Instituted the Bill of Rights. Bill of Rights are your rights. So this is where we've got to be very careful. The Bill of Rights is the first 10 amendments. We now have 27 amendments over the next, from the time the, ten, the, ten, the first 10, the Bill of Rights was published. 170 years later, we have 27 amendments to the Constitution. Listen to the first one. This is the one that is so important. This is the First Amendment. Congress shall make no laws respecting the establishment of religion, prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That's just one amendment. And it goes on. 87 years after um, the Declaration of Independence, Abraham Lincoln has the Gettysburg Address. And he says, our government is of the people, say it with me, of the people, by the people, and for the people. It's not for the king, not for the emperor, not for the governor. It's for us. That's the government we live under. So in light of this, what do we do? What did you say our ultimate purpose was? Okay, glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we do that by putting teeth to it by making disciples. So let's go back to my illustration here of chaos. But yet the sovereign purposes of God in history are moving and they will be accomplished. No matter what chaos happens, no matter whether you are obedient or disobedient, no matter if there's a king who's evil and speaks against our God and hates our Jesus, God's purposes will be accomplished. We must be citizens of this country, which, which I have no problem calling it this great country that is set up in a way like no other country for your freedoms. But we use those freedoms for the glory of God and his purposes, not for our end goals and our purposes. Are you pleased with where our country is going? Hello? <laughs> then let's engage the system in which God has put us to see changes. My dad, and again, I, I don't talk about party politics. And so I, I'm going to a little bit here, but just by illustration. My father, a lifelong dyed-in-the-wool Democrat. I, as a young man, after I became a Christian, became a Republican. He quit talking to me. <laughs> just kidding. But he always told me this, Tony... If you're not going to vote, shut up and quit complaining. And, um, and what I took that as, he wasn't a believer. He died as an agnostic, to my knowledge. Um, but what I took from that is I have an opportunity to be involved in a process. I have a voice. And what I need to do is use that voice for the purposes of God. Do you remember Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16 in Philippi? He was arrested and beaten without a trial. Guess what? That was against Roman law. You can't beat a citizen without a trial. 
they just presumed because he was Jewish, he was not a citizen. They threw him in jail. Then they, then they found out he was a citizen, and they told the jailer, let him out. Quietly, let him out. And Paul said, nope. They come, and they can apologize to me. So you see, he used his rights as a Roman citizen to establish a precedent so he could be free to preach the gospel. Are you with me? So we too get involved in the process as citizens of this country so that we can have influence on the outcomes of the processes. And, and this is where I, I, I am, there's a pastor in Reno, his name's Maurice Washington. Maurice has been a pastor for 30, 40 years. He's also a state senator, he was for several terms. And he's now meeting with pastors, and I talked to him on the phone this week, where he's encouraging followers of Jesus who believe in, in who our Savior is and what he's done and, and wants to make a difference to run for offices, everything from school boards to national offices. Get involved, he's saying to people. And you know, th this is where my conversion is in my understanding. If we're going to say we don't like where our country is going, let's do something about it. But let's do it for the right motive. Not, so listen to me carefully. This is where I'm going to make you mad. I know I'm going over, so be, be patient with me because we're going to have a whole other concert here in a minute. At least one more song. I'm not talking about Christian nationalism. Do you know what Christian nationalism is? Christian nationalism is the idea that this is God's country and we need to take it back. I don't agree with that. <laughs> it's not God's country. You hear me clearly. God doesn't have a country. God has a people. And those people are in every nation. So God blessed this country. God gave us the foundation of a Christian worldview that we're moving away from. If we want to bring back a Christian worldview, let's get involved. But our end goal is not Christian America. Our end goal is making disciples of all nations. Are you with me? This is so important. So don't hear me saying, become a Republican and let's take back our country. That's misguided. Hear me saying, commit your life to Jesus Christ in every area of your life, from the greatest things to the minutest things, and live your life in a manner that honors him and projects that to a watching world. And some of you are called to get involved in political processes, do it. Some of you are called to get involved in social, social justice, do it. But do it for the glory of God as we make disciples, not to restore something called the Christian nation that is doubtful ever really existed. Do you know church attendance today is the same percentage as the 1776? Don't go back to a glory days that maybe never was. Let's look forward. Okay, sorry. Bottom line, and I know maybe I've confused you, but here's bottom line. We are citizens of God's kingdom first and foremost. Okay, better yet. We are citizens of God's kingdom first and foremost. Yeah. Amen. Our king is Jesus, and we must have unwavering allegiance to him, no matter what our government says. Our daily purpose must be to carry out his purposes through loving our neighbor and good works. Our citizenship here must be held as subservient to King Jesus' rule. And we should be the best citizens of our earthly country so that 
we can spread the gospel of our heavenly king. Father, thank you for your word. I ask, Lord, that you work in our hearts and minds through your text here and through what I've said. And as I've left the scriptures, Lord, and talked about our American politics, Lord, if I got it wrong, just, just show us, Father. Or if I got the application wrong. But, Lord, we, we love where we live. And we, some of us, probably most of us, maybe all of us, lament some things we see, the direction some of our country is going. Lord, we trust you and your processes as you oversee it all to bring about your ends. But we want to be instruments in your hands, Lord, in our neighbors' lives, in our town, cities, counties, state, federal government, to bring about righteousness. But most importantly, Lord, we want, we want people to know your son. We want them to understand their sin has alienated them from you, but in your great love, you've pursued them and sent your son to pay for it all so that they could be restored to you as your children, Lord. Help us to have that the primary motive of our lives and to realize that our form of government actually helps us promote that and to use it as a tool, Father, for your glory. We thank you. In our beautiful Savior's name we pray. Amen. So please bear with me on time. We have communion. We have stations in the back and up front. I want you to come get the elements and sit back down. Don't partake of the elements yet. But I want you to be thinking during this process of the chaos, but yet those two lines of God's sovereign direction. And are you aligned with where he's going to bring his kingdom through his son? Think about that as we participate in communion today, that this represents what put me in his kingdom. Am I sold out for his kingdom? So please come get the elements and then sit back down. We'll partake together in just a moment.
Communion is a corporate celebration. Scripture always presents it as people together. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying individual communion is wrong, but the presentation of Scripture is we do it corporately. Paul in Acts chapter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 11 is talking about the Corinthian church was living very selfishly. They're living chaotic, all for themselves. And coming to a communion service, which was a love feast, they ate meals there, and some people eating all the food, others getting drunk. And Paul said, this is wrong. In the midst of that, he gives us our instructions. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That's a phenomenal statement. Paul wasn't a follower of Jesus when Jesus walked the earth. But Jesus taught Paul, I receive from the Lord. Jesus told me to tell you how to do community, he's saying. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This represents the humanity of Christ. Jesus became human like you and me, but never sinned once. Thus the unleavened bread you have in your hand. We now celebrate that the eternal God became human for you and me. Father, we thank you for this amazing truth, this amazing plan. And Jesus, we praise you for what you went through for us. We honor you. Let's partake together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper. And this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Scripture is clear. A covenant requires death. Blood must be shed. So Jesus shed his blood to inaugurate the new covenant, which ensures our salvation. Thank you, Father, for, again, what this represents for the forgiveness you've brought us through the blood of Jesus, for the new heart, the regeneration, becoming new people in Christ, and above all that, Lord, for your indwelling Holy Spirit, all because Christ shed his blood. Thank you. Let's partake. Matt, I wish you could play all day for us, you guys. Um, you're going to sing your song, The Scars. Can you give us the background before you sing it? Mm-hmm. You know, and if I could just say, uh, you know, what was impressed in my heart just so you were speaking was uh, just the fruit of the Spirit, right? Against such thing, there is no law. And, uh, and also just as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
um, when you were talking about what do we do? How do we put teeth to this? You know, it's like his kingdom come, his will be done. Um, this message, the, the, the song Scars is a, is a gospel song. <laughs> so in light of that, no, in light of that, what, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. The optional hey. one, self-control. <laughs> so, so, my daughter beautiful, always leads Matt. Out, leads beautiful. Out gentle, gentleness is what my daughter always avoids, yeah. that one. Yeah. So we're working on that one, too. <laughs> amen. So, yeah, so, amen. I apologize. Um, Go ahead. Man, I, I, I love it. And, uh. This song, Scars, is a, is a gospel song, and uh, the message being that, that we carry scars, that we have testimonies up here on this stage and uh, of, of the things that we've gone through and the time that we've been around in this chaos, as you so ad- correctly labeled it, uh, of our lives that we walk through. And the truth of the matter is, is every person in here has a story. It's always incredible to us to hear those stories individually. Um, and to know that those things are uniquely real to each person sitting in your chair today, no matter what age you are, they're real, they affect us, um, they leave scars. And sometimes we get going in life and we start to hide those scars and we start to cover them up and we're ashamed of the things that we've gone through or walked through or the things that are, that are marks on us. Um, but the message of the gospel is not only that we have scars, but that Jesus has scars. And even after he came back, raised from the dead, that he had scars to prove that work. And the Bible says, by his wounds, we are healed. And that's, that's the glorious message, is that we don't have to hide our scars. Because Jesus didn't hide his scars, in fact, there's a passage where Jesus is, he, he comes out of the grave. He goes and finds his disciples locked up in a room. And that's just an image of what we do. We're locked up. We're hiding. We're hiding our scars. But Jesus holds out his hands and he says, look at my scars. And he says, peace be with you. And he leaves them with peace. And that's the hope, that's the message to us is that we can go from a place of hiding our scars to saying, God, I'm thankful for the scars. I'm thankful for your work in my life. And man, what a beautiful thing he can do with that. When we just open up our hearts, open up ourselves to not only receive his grace, his redemption, all of these things that he works in our own individual hearts, but when we do that, he's able to use us as as a tool, as an instrument to reach others, to, to reach out to others and to, um, you know, I know we've experienced when we've gotten to share our stories, people go, wow, me too. Thank you for sharing that. Just so this is what I'm going through. I can resonate with that. And then pretty soon the light just starts pouring in, right? So um, that's a little bit about this song and uh, now we're gonna sing it. <laughs> Waking up to a new sunrise 
that song just tears me up. Let me leave you with this thought, and then we'll, we'll 
go preach the good word to the world that we live in. <clears throat> my scars cancel my ability to judge anyone else when I see them doing wrong. But that song reminds me to focus on his scars and translate that message into a message of love, which is what Tony preached on today. So be mindful of that. Take a little bit of I Am They home with you. God bless you. Have a great week serving the Lord. We'll see you next Sunday.